Hi, my name is Carly and welcome to Arise's Sermon of the Week. We hope that you experience God as you listen to this message and that you find practical ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus within your community. So let's open up our spiritual ears as we listen to this message. How many of you guys are thankful to know that your giving is making a difference around the world? Come on, let's give God praise for that one more time. Well, if you are new here, if we've not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Joshua, and I am the Connections Pastor here at Arise, and I am so excited to get to continue to experience God with you today as we dive into the Word of God. But before we do that, as is customary, as we do every week, we want to celebrate, and something really awesome and something really special happened this last week at Arise. Our Arise South Shore Youth Director, Carly, was ordained in the Assemblies of God. There's some pictures up there, and we are so excited that people continue to accept the call of God on their life, and they are walking out that calling. So awesome. So awesome. But as we dive in today, in life, all of us have preferences. We prefer something over something else, right? Some of us prefer to sleep in. Some of us prefer to wake up early. You guys are the 11 a.m., so I'm assuming you guys prefer to sleep in a little bit, right? Uh, some of us prefer cake, but if you're a country boy like myself, you prefer pie. Where are my pie people at, right? Some of us prefer to take our kids to Disney World. Some of us prefer not trying to die. This last year, uh, last year, I have four kids. At that time, they were all under the age of five. They're all under the age of six now. It's still crazy in my household. Please pray for me. But uh, my mom, who's actually here today, uh, let's give it up for my mom real quick. I want to give honor to my mom. But she just wanted to take her grandchildren, her grandbabies, to Disney World. And we went, and it was horrible. I thought I was going to die. It was 90 degrees outside. My kids cried the entire time. I spent way too much money. It was horrible. It was horrible. And then my daughter got like a $70 princess dress, and it was full of glitter, and it was hot, and you know the dreaded walk from the exit of Disney out to your car, right? Well, my daughter was falling asleep, and I had to carry her the entire way, and we couldn't take the transit because we had a huge stroller because my family's a tribe. We had to walk all the way out to the car, and I'm holding my daughter, and I thought I was going to die. And then some of us in life, some of us prefer to spend money. Some of us, those of you that prefer to spend money, you guys are the ones that prefer going to Disney World. Uh, some of us prefer to spend our money. Some of us prefer to save our money. In life, we all have preferences. And then when it comes to church, all of us have different church preferences, whether it's the type of music that is played. Some of us like traditional music. Some of us like contemporary music. And if you've been coming to Arise for a while, you probably enjoy contemporary music because we don't do a whole lot of traditional things here at Arise. Some of us have different preferences when it comes to communication style. Some of us like being talked to. Some of us like being shouted at. I grew up in a church culture, okay? I was a pastor kid. I grew up in a church culture where most of the preaching consisted of shouting the entire time. There's some points where you can get passionate, like I probably will today, but like shouting from the start for 90 minutes to the end, nonstop shouting. Uh, some of us prefer different kids' programs, but all of us are at a rise today, and we all know that we have the best kids' programs on the world, right? Yeah. And then some of us prefer to be hugged. Some of us prefer not to be hugged. 
when it comes to church. And those of you that prefer not to be hugged are really enjoying our gathering guidelines that we have in place right now because no one's allowed to hug you. But when it comes to church, what is the type of church that Jesus prefers? Does he prefer a Pentecostal church like ourselves? Does he prefer a Baptist church? Does he prefer a Catholic church? Does he prefer, prefer a Lutheran church? Does he prefer a Presbyterian church? Let's go even deeper. Does he prefer rural churches? Does he prefer churches in the city? Does he prefer churches that meet in homes? Does he prefer churches with steeples? Churches with big crosses when you go on their campus? Churches with multiple campuses? Churches that preach out of the King James? Churches that preach out of the NIV? What type of church does Jesus prefer? And today we're going to be continuing our current, our current message series called it's the, it's the End of the World as We Know It. And if you are new here for the last six weeks, this is our seventh week now, we have been diving into this letter that was written by a, name man John, or a man named John. And uh, John, when Jesus was on the earth, was one of Jesus' closest followers. And Jesus came to the earth, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the grave, and he went back and he ascended back to heaven at the right hand of the Father. And John was still on the earth, but Jesus gave John a supernatural vision. And John wrote about that vision in a letter, and we now call that letter Revelation, and it's found in the Bible. And for the last seven weeks now, we've been diving in into this letter, and Jesus gave some warnings to some churches that were on the earth at that time, where the time of the letter was written. We've just been looking at these letters, seeing what these letters say, and looking how they apply to us in the world we live in today. And today, we're going to be reading a letter to a church that was the type of church that we're going to see that Jesus preferred. And it's going to be in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And if you have worship guides, we have fill-in-the-blank notes for you to help follow along today. It also has our main portion of Scripture right there. If you don't have one, you can stop at guest services and they will get you one. But let's dive in. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is Jesus talking here. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Note this. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Verse 10, because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have. Everyone say, hold on. Hold on, hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father. We thank you that we get to experience you today. And Jesus, I just pray that the same way we experienced your presence through worship, that we would continue to experience your presence through the word. And Jesus, that you would speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if Jesus were to write a rise church a letter, 
we would want it to look a lot like the letter that we just read. And this is why. Out of the seven letters that were written to the seven different churches, only two of the churches received zero condemnation from Jesus. In other words, only two of the churches were not told, were, were, they weren't told they were doing something wrong. They were told, you guys are not doing anything wrong. And Jesus had no condemnation for this church. And this letter that we just uh, read was written to the church of Philadelphia. And no, it was not this Philadelphia that we see right here. Not that Philadelphia. Uh, this Philadelphia is actually what's now modern-day Turkey. You can see where it's at on the map there in, in Asia Minor, Philadelphia. And it was written to a church in this city. And um, the city of Philadelphia was founded by Attalus II Philadelphus, who was known for his devotion to his brother Eumenes, his name meaning brotherly love. What is the city of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania known as? The city of brotherly love. And I've never been there, but from what I can tell, it's quite the opposite. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever met an Eagles fan before, but there's not a whole lot of brotherly love. If you're from Philadelphia, I'm sorry. Um, Philadelphia was considered the cultural gateway to Asia. And the city of Philadelphia was founded to be a outpost for Hellenistic culture, so for Greek culture. And it was full, full of immorality. And they tried to spread Greek language and Greek customs and everything that had to do with Greek culture, the worship of false gods, the Greek gods. This city was founded to spread all of those things into the rest of Asia. And uh, William Barclay says to walk through its temple scattered streets was to be reminded of Athens, the center of worship of the Olympian gods. So this kind of gives us an image of uh, the city of Philadelphia that this church was in. And in Acts 19.10, we read through the ministry of the Apostle Paul that the gospel of Jesus Christ spread all throughout Asia. So it was at this time when this church of Philadelphia was most likely founded, or as, as how we say it today, was planted. This church was planted around this time as the gospel was spread all throughout Asia in Acts 19. Something that is uh, important to note about this church as well is it was actually the smallest of the seven churches that received letters from Jesus. Yet, we're going to say this a few more times, they received zero condemnation from Jesus, and they were the smallest church of all the churches that received letters. And let's go back to verse 11. Hold on to what you have. Everyone say, hold on one more time for me. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. And this is what we're going to discover today. Those words, hold on. We're going to discover that Jesus prefers a church that holds on to the essentials. And we're going to dive in and to see what this church had in place, the essentials of this church, and how they relate to us as Christians and as a church in the world we live in today. But the word essential has kind of been a buzzword this year. When the pandemic first began, there were businesses that were labeled essential, businesses that were labeled non-essential. And the non-essential businesses were told to close down for a certain amount of time. And I know that there's people in here that during that time, uh, you were considered at that what people call a non-essential employee and you lost your job. And we all ask the questions like, are our fast food restaurants essential or our clothing stores essential? What makes this business essential and this business non-essential? It was, it was crazy, right? Um, but our culture now kind of defines people in, in places of employment essential 
are non-essential. But what we're going to dive into today is what Jesus considers to be the essentials of every church. And we're going to learn from this today. But before we dive into those essentials, let's relook at verse 7. And as Jesus said, write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the True One. So what Jesus is doing right here as he begins this letter is he's establishing his character. He's establishing his authority. He's saying, I am the Holy One. I am the true one. And in me, there is no room for error in me. Um, I have no room for I cannot tolerate sin. He's saying that I am the true God and there is no place for error. And once again, yet, Jesus, the true and Holy One, we we have to catch this today, had no condemnation for this church. It's powerful. And Jesus opens this letter, and, 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 and I don't know about you, and this is so important, because I don't want to be rebuked by Jesus. I don't want to be condemned by Jesus. I want, to, I want to bring pleasure to Jesus. I want Jesus to look at me and to write something like this about my life, and I, want, and I know we desire to rise church to be this type of church, but Jesus continues, and he says, the one who has the key of David who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. My dad is a full-time pastor now, but when I was a kid, he was part-time, a part-time pastor, and he had a full-time job. He was, uh, he he serviced vending machines, and he had a route, and uh, he would drive his route, he would service the vending machine, he would restock the vending machines, and he took me on his route one day. It was the best day of my life, and like, I'm serious, like, it was literally the best day of my life. I'm not joking. It was awesome, because we walked in, and there was a vending machine full of candy and chips and a vending machine full of Mountain Dew, my favorite soda. Um, and my dad walked up, he took out his key, he opened them up, and he said, son, take whatever you want. It was awesome, right? My dad had the key to all the good resources. My dad had the key and the authority to open those things up and to give me the goods. And this is what Jesus is doing here, okay? Except he's not saying, hey, I have the authority over vending machines. Jesus is saying, I have the authority over all of heaven. Jesus is saying, I have the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and I can unlock the doors of heaven and unleash heaven in your life. Jesus is saying, I have the keys. And when he says the key of David, that's actually a reference all the way back to Isaiah 22. But to to sum that up, what it means is that Jesus has the keys to the kingdom of of heaven. And he continues in verse 8. And Jesus says, I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power. And this is the verse we're going to spend a lot of time on today. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So Jesus opens verse 8 the same way he does with the other churches. He says, I know your works. Jesus says, I've seen everything that you've done. I I know what you've done. And remember, no condemnation. And I want us to ask ourselves today, okay, as we dive in, let's ask ourselves, Jesus sees all that we do. Are we holding on to what he considers essential, or are we holding on to our personal preferences? What are we holding on to? And it's taken us a few moments to establish the opening of this letter, but now we're going to dive in and really see what Jesus considered essential. In Revelation 3.8, Jesus said, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close. To be, thought, to be honest with you, the thought of a door that cannot close terrifies me as a parent. Because, have any of you ever let your kids outside before the back door? 
and you walk to the back 30 minutes later and you realize your kids left the door open the entire time. All the lizards are in the house. All the love bugs are in the house. All of that expensive air conditioning is out the house. The thought of that scares me, there being a door that can't be closed. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> but Jesus, he's not talking about a literal door here. Okay? Typically, when you study scripture, and many Bible scholars agree that when Jesus says open door here, this is what this means. Typically, when you study the scriptures, an open door refers to evangelistic opportunity. In other words, an open door means a chance to share the gospel. And Jesus said, I have opened a door for you. And uh, what we see with the Apostle Paul, I'm going to give you an example of this in Scripture, not just say it, but he says in 1 Corinthians 69, Paul said, but I will stay in Ephesus because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. And this is the very same thing we see with the Church of Philadelphia. An open door to share the gospel had been opened. Remember, they were in a culture that opposed the way of Jesus. They were in a culture that was full of immorality. And Jesus is saying, I have opened a door for you to preach the gospel. And this is, this is what we can see is essential here, okay? Sharing the gospel is essential. It's essential. And our culture is the same way as this culture that the Church of Philadelphia was in. As we've talked about the last few weeks, we are living in a post-Christian culture. The ways of the world are contrary to the ways of Jesus. We follow Jesus. The world is opposite of Jesus. And this church in Philadelphia, this isn't anything new, okay? They went through the same thing. And Jesus is saying, but there's still an open door for you to share the gospel, it's essential. And sometimes I think that we as God-fearing Christians and Bible-believing Christians, we believe that laws and legislation are the answer, are the solution to immorality. Laws and legislation are not the solution to immorality. And the Old Testament in the Bible, the Old Testament proved that. God had a chosen nation, Israel, and he set laws of morality before them, yet immorality was rampant. Why? Because laws and legislation are not the solution to immorality. That's why Jesus came. He was our solution. He is our justification to be in right standing with God, Jesus. Now, do we pray that laws will be passed to protect the lives of the unborn? Absolutely. Do we pray and believe that laws are passed to where we can continue to freely worship and to serve Jesus? Absolutely. Do we pray and believe that laws will be passed to encourage morality? Absolutely. But laws and morality, all they do is they create comfortable arenas for morality to take place. They're not the solution. Our workplaces need the gospel. Our family and our friends need the gospel. Our kids need the gospel. Our community, Hillsborough County, needs the gospel. Our nation needs the gospel. Our world needs the gospel. We don't need more laws. We don't need more regulations. We need the gospel. That's what we need. And Jesus is saying, I've placed the open door in front of you. Do you see it? And what we can learn from the Church of Philadelphia is they saw it, and they shared the gospel. They shared the gospel. 
And I'm a huge fan of Charles Spurgeon. And if you're not familiar with who he is, he was a British preacher in the 1800s, and he's called the Prince of, Prince of Preachers, and many consider him the greatest preacher of all time. But it's said that someone came to him and asked him, Mr. Spurgeon, how do I reach people for Jesus? Charles Spurgeon looked at him and said, what are you? What do you do? The man said, I'm an engine driver on a train. Then, said Spurgeon, is the man who shovels coal on your train a Christian? I don't know, said the man. Go back, said Spurgeon, and find out and start on him. God has placed open doors in our life to share the gospel. But here's the kicker, okay? If we're going to share the gospel, we have to make sure that we're living the gospel. And the Apostle Paul gives us some pretty good instructions in the book of Titus on how to live as a Christian in a world that is contrary to the ways of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities. Remember, okay, Paul telling Christians how to live as Christians in the world. Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too, us Christians, okay, we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. Do we want to share the gospel? Let's start with living it. Christianity, the way to live out Christianity, that Paul says, is submit to authority. Like, like, obey authority. He says, be ready for every good work. He says, stop slandering people. Stop fighting with people that, dis- that, that don't agree with you. Yet why do we as Christians, why do we, why do we get mad at people for doing the very things we did before we accepted the gospel? Because the gospel is the solution to morality. We were immoral before the gospel. Jesus is the solution. So we get mad at people that have not yet found the solution. The gospel is the solution. We can't get mad at people. Paul said, listen, before you were once foolish, you were once disobedient, you were once deceived, you once gave in your passions. Listen, the world will do that until they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the answer. This is why our culture and our world needs the gospel. It is the answer. We have to share it. We can look at the church of Philadelphia and we can see the first thing that Jesus commended was the fact that there was an open door to share the gospel and they did it. So this is where we ask ourselves, where are our open doors? Where are our open doors just to love people? Where are our open doors just to be gentle with people? Where are our open doors to stop slandering people, to stop fighting with people? Where are our open doors? And after Jesus mentioned the open door, he continued in verse 8, and he said, uh, Revelation 3, 8 continued, because you have but little power. Jesus told this church, you have little power. And from the outside looking in, this church would have been looked at as a weak church. They, they didn't have the best word. They probably didn't have the best worship team. They probably didn't have the best kids programs. They probably didn't have... The, the best systems and, and procedures in place for church growth. They probably didn't have all of these things in place. They, they probably didn't have the best social media clout. 
For those of you that don't know what that word means, it means influence. They probably didn't know. They probably didn't have all of those things. Uh, but, but they relied on God's power. And we can be too strong or we can be too big of ourselves to allow God to really use us. Philadelphia, the church of Philadelphia had the right thinking to rely on God's power because our walk with God is not based on our great ability. It's based on great dependability. It's not about how talented I am. It's not about how gifted I am. It's not about what I can do. It's about what Christ can do. And I'm dependent on him, not myself. And I will be honest. This is something that I struggle with. Okay. Ask my wife, I may be a bit of a perfectionist, okay? I struggle, and I try to receive, I try to, I try to reach perfection in my own power. I grew up as a pastor's kid, and I had the whole church looking at me. I felt like I had to be perfect, and to be honest with you, that's carried over into my life now. What's this saying? Stop looking bad at pastor's kids, okay? But anyways, anyways, um, I, I, I struggle with trying to be perfect, and some of you may know this, but a few weeks ago, I restarted school. I'm back in college classes, um, it's been like seven or eight years since the last time I was in college. I'm going to finish my degree, and I'm in two classes every seven weeks. It's a lot of work, and for the first couple of weeks, I had all 100%, and I was feeling good about myself. I was feeling good, and then I got my first 97% back, and I looked at that paper with anger. It's frustrating. And some of you are like, have you heard that C's get degrees? Like, what are you freaking out about? If you're a high schooler, you didn't hear that, okay? But I struggle with that. I struggle trying to depend on my own power. I struggle trying to reach perfection in my own power. Can anyone relate with me? Like, I I depend on myself way too much. And someone in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, he demonstrates why we should be happy that we have these weaknesses. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10, But he said to me, this being Jesus talking to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. You catch that? Catch that? My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in my weaknesses and insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And the church of Philadelphia from the outside in was considered weak. But listen, there's a difference between weaknesses and sinful traits, okay? They're not the same. There's a difference between weak in some areas and then allowing sin in your life. It's completely different. But the church of Philadelphia was considered weak. But because they relied on God's power and on God's grace, they were strong. And catch this. Paul demonstrates in 2 Corinthians here that... Uh, that it means that more weakness means more opportunity for God's power to operate. Dependence on God's power will accomplish more than our own ability. Dependence on God's power will accomplish more than our own ability. I just want us to ask ourselves, okay, whose power are we relying on? And just allow the Lord just to search your heart. Whose power in my life am I relying on? So we see the church of Philadelphia, they shared the gospel. They relied on God's power. We're going to continue again in verse 8. It says, Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. The church of Philadelphia may have had little influence, 
They may have had little ability, yet Jesus was pleased with this church because they held on to this essential. Okay? That, that they obeyed what he spoke. Obeying what God speaks is essential. And John, uh, back in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is a book um, all about the life of Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. There's four Gospels in the Bible. John is one of them. All about the life of Jesus. But it says in John 8.31, Then Jesus said to the Jews, so Jesus is saying to a group of people that recently made the decision to follow him, he's, this is the Jews, he's referring to the Jews as those who made the decision to follow him. Jesus said to them, who had believed him, okay? They just made the decision to follow him, and this is what Jesus says. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. What does this mean? That being a true follower of Jesus requires us to obey the teachings of Jesus, Okay, his word is his teaching, and Jesus taught many different things. And what we see is that Jesus looked at the church of Philadelphia, and he said, you have obeyed my word. This means that the church of Philadelphia had obeyed the teachings of Jesus Christ. This means that they must have loved God above all other things, which is something that Jesus taught in Matthew 4.17. This means that they must have loved their neighbor as themselves, which Jesus taught in Matthew 22, verse 39. This means that they must have let their light shine by doing good works, which is found in Matthew 5, 16. This means they must have sought the kingdom of God over all other things, which was found in Matthew 6, 33. And this means they must have loved and prayed for their enemies, which was found in Matthew 5, 44. Jesus said that you have not denied my name. What does that mean? You have not denied my character. It means that you have obeyed my teachings, you have listened to my teachings, and you have lived them out in your life. And Jesus is commending this church for saying, you've heard what I have to say, and you've lived it out. Jesus wants to take these teachings and not just listen to them, but live them out. He wants us to put God above all other things. He wants us to pray and to love for our enemies. He wants us to let our good work shine like a light in a dark world that so desperately needs the light. Jesus said, you have obeyed my word. And what I want to ask ourselves is, are we representing Jesus as something different from who he really is? Have we made a false image of Jesus that we're presenting? Are we presenting, are we obeying his word and not denying his name? Are we not denying his character and representing Jesus well? And Jesus, he continued in verse 9, and we're not going to really pause for a moment on verse 9, but essentially what Jesus is saying in verse 9 is that anyone who would try to stand against this church of Philadelphia would not be able to stand against the plan of, uh, that Jesus had for this church. But Jesus continued in verse 10 and displays another essential that this church held on to. He said, because you have kept my command to endure. Now, I was never on a track team. I was never on a cross-country team. I did play basketball. But I remember in PE class that we would do sprints and we would do long-distance running. I loved the sprints. I hated the long-distance running. Is there anybody in here that, long, that enjoys long-distance running? I, I don't understand why you are the way that you are. I don't, I don't get it. But I loved the 100-meter dash. Because I could give it my all for just a moment, and I could look back at those cross-country suckers and be like, ha-ha, gotcha, idiots. Like, <laughs> I was like, I was, I, I was full of it. And then we would go do the long-distance running, and I'd start out, and I'd go all the way. 
I'd, I'd kick off and go super fast, and I'd look back and say, what are these fools doing? I'm going to destroy you. And then a little bit later, one by one, all the cross-country runners start passing me as I start throwing up on the side of the road. Because, because this is why, okay? They were trained for marathons. I was trained for sprints. And Jesus uh, commends us essential. And, and the, the church of Philadelphia understood that a journey with Jesus is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It's not about how much I can do in super quick, 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 quick. Like, it's all a marathon, and we have to endure. Endurance is essential. Endurance is essential. And Jesus said this, because you have kept my command to endure. How do we endure? How do we do that? The author of Hebrews gives us some pretty good instructions on how we endure through this journey of faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. So this author is teaching us how to run this race with endurance to do what the Church of Philadelphia did. He says right here, keeping our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus said that this church of Philadelphia had ran with endurance, meaning this means that they laid that sin that they struggled with behind, and they started to move forward. But there's something so powerful that we need to catch today. The thing with races, okay, is that there is a starting point and there's a finish line, right? You start at one point, and you finish at another. The author of Hebrews said that Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Therefore, what that means, that Jesus is the founder of our faith, and he is what we are running after in our faith. Nothing changes the moment after you make a decision for Christ. Jesus will be your pursuit for the rest of your life, okay? It's all about Jesus. He's the starting point, He's the finishing point. Jesus must be the goal and the focus of our faith. He is the reason we begin. He is the reason that we end. And th th this is the thing. Blessings are great, but they are not the goal of our faith. Miracles are great, but they are not the goal of our faith. Signs and wonders are great, but they are not the goal of our faith. And we believe in these things. We see these things happen. But Jesus must be the focus and the goal of our faith. Jesus. Not the things of God, but God himself. And we believe that in our pursuit of Jesus, when we're running after Jesus, blessings will come. Miracles will happen. Signs and wonders will come. But we can never pursue the things of God instead of God himself. And that's what the Church of Philadelphia did. They ran their race with endurance and kept the gospel the center of everything that they did. Pursuing anything outside of Jesus will lead to instability. The moment we come to church and we begin worshiping only because we want God to send a blessing, we have it wrong. 
The moment that we come to church and the only reason we're coming to church is because we think we're going to find favor with God. We have it all wrong. We come to church to pursue Jesus, more of Jesus. We study his word to have more of Jesus. He is the starter and he is the reason we run this race. If you feel weary today, I want to ask you, is Jesus your focus? If you need endurance, look to Jesus. That's what the church of Philadelphia did. That's what we have to do. Jesus must be our goal. He must be our goal. Are we pursuing Jesus? for who he is, or for what he can do. The church of Philadelphia, although, although they were in the midst of this culture that opposed the very things of Christ, they held on to these essentials. They shared the gospel. They lived out the gospel. They relied on God's power, not their own ability. They were dependent on God, not dependent on themselves. They obeyed the teachings of Jesus. They obeyed his word. They did what Jesus commanded. And they ran the race with endurance by keeping their eyes on Jesus. Notice something. Jesus is the center of it all. Jesus says, I bless this church. Jesus said, because you have kept me the center of it all. These are the essentials of a church that Christ prefers. A church that shares the gospel, relies on him, obeys his word. These are the essentials and running the, faith, the, the race with endurance. But I, as we continue, I want to read, as we, as we transition into closing, I want to read Revelation chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. And, and Jesus said here, because you have kept my command to endure. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Now that verse right there, there's a bunch of different uh, theological opinions on what that means. We're not gonna dive into that today, but Pastor Ken does have a video on our YouTube where he dives into that, go check it out. But verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Hold on to what you have. Jesus is saying, hold on to these essentials that you have. Hold on to sharing the gospel. Hold on to relying on me. Hold on, hold on to running with endurance. Hold on to obeying my word. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Then he goes on. He says, the one who conquers. Who's the one who conquers? The one who holds on to those essentials. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Something that's very interesting about the city of Philadelphia in the Bible is that they experienced a lot of earthquakes. And in recorded history, in AD 17, they experienced in all of recorded history one of the worst earthquakes of all time. And it was so bad... It was so powerful that Roman trade in the region essentially stopped overnight. Caesar, okay? Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Caesar loved his taxes. If you've been in history class, you know that Caesar loved to get his taxes, right? Caesar waived all taxes from the region for a period of five years. 
Caesar, guys. This is how bad the earthquake was. And sent a massive aid package. In other words, they all got their stimulus checks. Sent a massive aid package so that the people could rebuild the city. And that happened in AD 17. But for numerous years up until this letter was written, they continued to experience earthquake after earthquake after earthquake. And when the buildings would collapse, there would always be one thing that would still remain standing. And if you look at this picture, what do you see? The pillars are still standing. This is Philadelphia today. Those pillars from all the way back then endured through the earthquakes and they still stand today. I don't know if you can agree with me on this, but this year has felt like an absolute earthquake. The pandemic, people losing jobs, some parents having to teach their kids virtual school. That was enough in itself, right? It's felt like an earthquake. The suicide rate has skyrocketed. And I'm sure there's some people in this room that over the last couple of months, you have felt the temptation to end your life because of the earthquake that is going on around you. And, and anyone with, you know, that, that, that follows Christ has just been, the majority of people can sense that something is wrong. Like something bad is happening that we don't like. Something bad is going to happen. Everyone just has this feeling, this quickening that something bad is happening. The earth is like rumbling. It's like the earthquake that we've experienced some earthquakes, but it feels like an even larger earthquake is coming. Yet Jesus, look what he says. The one who conquers, which is the one who holds on to these essentials. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. What Jesus is saying is that holding on to these essentials will enable us to stand firm when adversity comes, just like these pillars we saw in this picture. And when Jesus said this to the church of Philadelphia, they knew what Jesus was talking about because they, they saw those pillars each day. They saw that the pillars were still standing. And Jesus is saying, hey, hey, if you hold on to this, you will be like that pillar. And when the earth around you is crumbling, when chaos is going on around you, you will stand firm. And that's what I want to encourage you today. Hold on to these essentials so that when the earthquake comes, you can stand firm. Share the gospel. Live out the gospel. Rely on God's power, not your own. Obey what the word of God says. And run this race with endurance with your eyes fixed on Jesus. Eyes fixed on Jesus. The church that Christ prefers is a church that holds on to these essentials. Would you stand to your feet? Oh, Jesus, we love you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there may be some of you in here today where you're, where you're just like, you know what? I've heard about this man named Jesus. But I've never surrendered my life to him. And I just want to tell you today that without Jesus, we are far from God. Without Jesus, we are sinners in need of grace. And I want you to know today that Jesus came down to earth fully God, fully man, 
And he lived the blameless life so that he could die on that cross to be our perfect sacrifice so that we can proclaim by faith through grace that we are saved. And I want you to know today that Jesus loves you and he laid down his life for you to be in right standing with God. And if you would like to accept that invitation, I just invite you, just raise your hand and then we're going to pray. If you'd like to accept the Lord as your Savior, just raise your hand. Everybody repeat after me. Jesus, we love you. And today I declare that you are the Savior of the world. That you came, that you died, that you rose, and you are the perfect sacrifice. And because of you, I can stand in right standing with God. And I proclaim by faith that I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, come on, everybody. Heaven is rejoicing today. Thank you, Jesus. Here in just a moment, we're going to sing a song just declaring our affection and declaring our devotion to Jesus. I encourage you, don't leave. Just worship Jesus in this moment. Jesus deserves our praise, but I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you before we sing that song. Jesus, we come to you today. And God, I just pray that like the church of Philadelphia, Lord, that we would hold on to these essentials, Lord. Jesus, I pray that we would be people that share the gospel. Jesus, that we would be people that live the gospel out in our lives, that we would love people, that we would do good things, God, that we would show people gentleness and kindness, Lord, that we wouldn't slander with people, that we wouldn't fight with people, but Jesus, that we would live the gospel and proclaim the gospel wherever we go. And God, I just pray that we would rely on your power, that we would be dependent on you and not ourselves, God. I pray that in Jesus' name, and God, I pray that we would obey what you speak. God, that we would obey your word. Jesus, that we would obey your teachings. Jesus, that we would live them out. And Jesus, I just pray that we would run this race with endurance, with our eyes fixed on you. Jesus, not focused on what you can do, but who you are. The King of kings, the King of glory, the name above any other name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship for just a moment. Hey guys, wasn't that such an amazing message? If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to follow our podcast. Also, make sure to share this with your friends on social media and use the hashtag MyAriseChurch. For more information or to give to this ministry, go to MyAriseChurch.com. I hope to see you guys soon.